Travel Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 142 of the MMA Geek Sea Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the no-hooks rear naked choke to my light heavyweight title reign, Nicholas Jonathan Bracha. Is it Jonathan or John? Just- no, just John. God damn Nicholas it. John Bracha. Nicholas John Bracha the third. Trace, man. The, the Trace. Is, is it three in a row, Nick? Or, or like is it father, grandfather? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And a long line of Nicholas. So so would the goal be at some point, maybe, to have a to have a son and give him the exact I'm, same name? I'm I'm forty six and a half years old, man. I love that I still do halves. <laughs> like I too I'm too old to be making babies, man. I, I don't. I don't think. You, I don't like, think you're too old to be making babies if you right want back. to. But if you don't want to, I don't. I gotta go. You got a wonderful go. daughter. God, yeah, I want to be. I want to be. I want to be seventy, being like freshman years, two hundred and forty grand. <laughs> I hear that. Man. I understand where you're coming from, dude. Just, just no, daycare. The world is. Like, yeah. Who is. would bring? Who would bring a human being into this burning world? Oh, I know. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a new dad. I <laughs> just. I just brought it up. <laughs> I just, my wife brought in a second human being into this world. So, Nick, we have a lot to discuss, man. UFC 275 was intense. It was insanity. It was everything we could have possibly hoped it would be. And then we have a really stellar UFC Fight Night card to break down. Cater versus Emmett at the headliner. Nick, so much to get into, man. Uh, I guess we got to start with the main event. Yuri Prashowska, the new light heavyweight champion of the world who beat Glover Teixeira, who beat the old man in an absolute firefight. Could be one, of, maybe the best fight in MMA history. Um, I would say it, it beat out Jones versus um, Gustafsson as the best light heavyweight title fight That's, in history. What are your thoughts? Well, remember how good, oh, remember how good Henderson Shogun was for that. Um, That's a good point. For just that, for so many near, as good as Gus and Jones was, it didn't have a, it, it, I wouldn't say it had a lot of near finishes. Like Henderson Shogun was like about to finish like every four seconds, but it did have it did have rounds of like just extreme Shogun top control without a lot of uh, a lot of without a ton of damage. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I can't remember a fight is is entertaining and surprising. It was also hard. It was also both simultaneously um, invigorating and celebratory, and also heartbreaking because going into this fight i at least i i can't speak for you i can't speak for everyone i was hoping that the old man had an old, old man he's four years younger than me that he had one more left in him yeah. and i wanted him to go i wanted him to win i wanted him to win and retire and i picked him to win the fight and saw a path but in my stomach i was terrified that he was going to get just run run over um by jiri and that's not what happened he had an amazing first round he ended the second round in total control he took a whip in in the fourth and he but he came back and like had him out on his feet and with glover to performance i know neither of these guys are happy with their performance and there was weight cuts up but as far as fighting like champions to win and finish as and i know that i over index on this but like as kind of classy martial artists like it was unbeatable but for me it just got a i was a little flipped upside down because it seemed like the narrative was set it seemed like by the middle of the fifth round 
Glover was popping him and really hurting him. He still had sting on his punches. Glover looked Glover looked fresher, like the champion in charge and threatening to finish. He had the fight won with 30 seconds left. And whatever it was at that moment, he made a bad decision. He gasped. He didn't think that Prochaska would have um, would have the fight left in him. Whatever happened, Glover made a, Glover made an error, either energy management or fight IQ, and it like sna- and it snatched the narrative away from me and flipped it to this other one. And like Jerry's Jerry's great. He's going to be a great champion. He's so easy to cheer for. He's exciting to see. He's must he's must watch MMA. But part of me was disappointed because I liked the story of like Glover being like not now, and then and then Jerry you know, Jiri fighting someone for the vacant, you know, for the vacant title. Um, If Glover retired after the victory. So it was, it was bittersweet. It was bittersweet for me, but holy shit. I mean, seated like on the edge of the, at the edge of our seats, just near, near finishes galore. Like I, just the best of the best. Me, I'd say the best MMA fight since, since Zhang, Zhang Jacob, won. Yeah, I mean, th- that fight had a little bit less of a well-rounded nature to it. It was just kind of a firefight where they were both just landing and neither girl was showing a whole lot of defensive elements to her game. In this one, that similarity existed on the feet. Don't get me wrong. We we knew this, right? That Jiri's very hittable, even though he's so offensively violent. And that's going to make for a firefight against the guy like Glover, who has so much heart, will not give in. Um, or certainly won't give in easily, right? At some point, the argument could be made that maybe he did. He didn't get hit. Mm-hmm. Oh. Sorry, God. Uh, no, I was no. gonna. Oh, I was gonna. Sorry to interject. I was gonna say that. I was gonna say Jiri. He ate some shots in one through four, but he, most of the damage that he took was on was on the ground. Like his his head movement and his striking defense in the first four rounds um, wasn't wasn't awful compared to what I compared to what I thought it would be in the fifth round when he was when he was way more gassed. Yes, he was standing still and eating gigantic shots. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and, and that's fair. But but the thing is, the hands down strategy, which in this case makes a lot of sense, because argue, uh, I mean, I would say inarguably, the takedown seemed more of a risk factor than the stand up with Glover. Oh. Right? If you could take some of those shots yeah. that you've taken from his last couple of opponents, you should be okay taking a lot of Glover's overhand right left hooks, even though Glover has serious power and legitimately improved boxing. Like. The overhand right left hook is still kind of the basis of his game when it comes to stand-up, but he's mixed it up. He's now throwing some, like, combos that if, you know, if you, if you squint, almost looks like a boxer. Like, he's really putting that element of his game together at age 42, 43, right? Because he's been uh, training with this uh, boxing coach for the last several years. Um, and and then Jiri having his hands down was key to avoid some of the takedowns. Now, obviously, Glover still got that top position because he has improved his wrestling tremendously over the years. Uh, he he would like literally just grab that single leg, which is his expertise. It's, it's his go-to. But then he would lift Jiri's leg up so high and run through him that Jiri couldn't stay on his feet despite his athleticism and balance. And got that position was able to was able to get some really good spots over there. He was close to you know close to locking in some submissions. He was landing some ground and pound. But man, as soon as Jiri got out, he went for the offense. He finished several of these rounds in top position, just blasting down on Glover after a round that he otherwise lost. Right. Not dissimilar from the way that Volkanovski did against Ortega, although that fight was a little bit less overall back and forth. The craziness of that fight was how close Volkanovski was to being finished. And then literally seconds later, 
he is finishing the fight. And these two guys are on the brink of finishing the fight. And these two guys have that exact same ability. Glover's done it time and again. It's when his opponent thinks he's hurt. Uh, is when he turns the tide and his opponent gets overly aggressive, which opens up the opportunity for Glover to get top position, which opens up the opportunity for Glover to use his high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu top game to, to finish the fight, right? Especially against these opponents with some holes in their games, uh, as he kind of did on the come-up. Um, Jiri doesn't have that level of holes. He's incredibly athletic. He's absolutely gigantic. So he wasn't going away. And even though he was exhausted and on the brink of being finished in that fifth round, he turned it around moments later, much like Glover has so many times in his career, man. Uh, this was good for Jiri. For Glover, man, think about the amount of damage he took in this fight, right? At age 43, like, this could have taken months off his life. Like, th this this fight alone could have uh, could be kind of attributed to CT and God knows what else he's going to be going through over the course of his next 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Um, but incredible fight, man. Both guys showed insane grit. Um, it did seem like Glover maybe broke a little bit toward the end there. Um, I don't know. Maybe broke is not the right term because he, he, he was not then. It's just without he the said hooks. That he, I mean, he's uh -huh. he said he said that he he said that he gassed. Um, I what, and it's what because I of those body shots from Jury. He was lining them consistently yeah. throughout the fight. I what I think. Oh uh, yeah, the, some of the body shots in three and four were were just brutal. But yeah. but Glover but Glover had such composure in bad positions elsewhere in the fight. They both did. Yeah, they both looked out. I mean. Glover almost finished Jiri a lot more than Jiri almost finished Glover. Well, I mean, I, okay, it's probably even. Certainly in that but, fifth um, round, Glover was extremely In the fifth round, but, but remember, remember the end of the second, though, where he opened up that huge cut. If the bet, if the, if the bet, I mean, he was, Jiri was kind of saved by the bell in that one, if I recall. But um, the, what I, just, what I was going to say was that I think that Glover miscalculated. I don't, I just, I don't think, I think he was caught in a bad position. I don't know if he thought he had the fight in the bag. I don't know what, but I don't think he. I just. I don't think he thought that the that the RNC was coming. Yeah. And and he because he had discounted it, he was slow to defend it. The same way that Glover was able to spring on Jiri in in in, in parts of the fight, um, with that killer instinct. Like I think maybe Jiri just had had more in the tank than Glover thought, and he just he saw an opening and he sprung. So I think it was. You know, I think it was more of a mental mistake than a lack of composure. I think it was just a miscalculation. Well, it's the, worth, the big it's mistake... worth noting that. Well, uh -huh. let, me, let me finish my sentence. Go ahead. It's worth noting that both of these guys think they fought horrible fights. Yeah, and, and listen, anytime you take that level of damage, anytime it's such a firefight, right? Every fighter strives to be dominant, to have a clean win. The, GS, the, 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 the GSP or Demi and Maya approach, you. You win, you win, and you don't have any spots on you, and you hug basically, the guy. Basically, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it, it's uh, the, the, they have the contemporaries that I mean, certainly Damian Maya did, but GSP barely had the contemporary to really take him to war to that extent. Carlos Conner probably probably came the closest to it, but um, I think Glover's biggest mistake it was it was a huge mistake, and maybe it could be attributed to how physically and mentally exhausted he was in that fifth round was jumping on that guillotine, man. Like you had him terribly hurt. Continue with oh, that shoes. was such a bad move. That's what such led to the finish. Move. That's what led to Glover Teixeira losing this fight. And it's funny because in several months now, we have two world championship title fights that were decided by a fifth-round mistake by one of the participants, who, if he had just continued to do what he did, would have won that fight. We saw that with Cyril Gaon. Cyril oh, Gaon yeah, and Francis yeah. Ngannou, right? Cyril Gaon uh, laid back for that heel hook on Francis when he had top position. It literally could have been his round if he just kept top position. He has the technique to do I it, mean. Right? It could have been that in Glover's head, he he was concerned about not not being I mean, up on the scorecards. You know, I, I've never faced 
I mean, right? No, not that. He was up on the scorecard. Uh, well, now, I mean, I've run marathons. I, I was a college swimmer. Like, I know, I know the feeling of being completely dead, and even just from training at punch. Like, I know a little bit about what it feels like to be, to have nothing left. And if Glover, I mean, Glover may have thought he wasn't gonna, he what he if he was so gassed that he wasn't gonna make it to the to the end of it. He didn't look that gassed. But it was a, it seemed like a desperation maneuver from a guy in complete control. From a guy who was and yeah, all close I can, to a finish. It was such all a I can, bad All I can state. do is is all I can do is imagine that like that he was concerned you know, he was concerned that he didn't have anything left. But I don't know, if you feel like you don't have anything left, can you finish a guillotine? Like I it's Well you know, okay, it takes to, a lot of energy. To, to be fair, I, I have to say it's not like Glover went for the guillotine, was on bottom, and then that led to the finish. The Gitti attempt was pretty early in the round, but that essentially gave Jury the break that he needed to recover. Oh, it was a ho- it was a horrible move. Yeah, it was a horrible man. move. Yeah, he had Jury crazy. out on his- Jury Jury Perjowska was out on his feet. He was yes. out on his feet when that when when Glover went for that. He really he really was man. And then again, Jury's still defending takedowns in that fifth round as you know as they make their way back up to their feet. Glover's landing some bombs again. He goes for a takedown again, um, and then eventually leads to the scramble. I mean, again, Glover. Glover had freaking mount in that in that fifth round. He was that close to finishing, and then literally in a matter of moments, with Jury's feet up on the fence. This is like the classic, uh, like old school UFC way of of uh, of uh, reversing bottom position. He used his feet on the fence to to basically push off of, get into top position, applied some pressure on Glover. Glover turned over, not thinking that the choke was a high risk. I mean, so many people didn't think that there was any chance that. Uh, th- that uh, Yuri would win this fight by submission, but Yuri went for something that Glover wasn't expecting, and he spoke a little bit about his mindset going into that third round, where apparently he was just like, "I need to finish. I need to. I need to do something to finish this fight. Like I, I can't let this go to the scorecards. Whether or not he believed that he he was in the lead or doing well or not, his mindset was to finish, 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 and that was a part of it, right? He wouldn't have probably gone for a red naked choke in the first round, but because of that mindset, because he decided like I need to do something here, he got the choke in. Now here's the thing. Yuri has the heart. He has the conditioning. He has. He, he just. He's able to inflict damage, right? He's able to stay calm in bad situations. Able to make it to his feet, even against a really good grappler. Even though he's mostly a stand-up fighter, right? The downside is, as champion, eventually the fact that he takes tremendous amounts of damage will wear on him. Eventually, this will cost him, whether it be the light heavyweight title or a winning streak or what have you. Sooner or later, this will come back to bite him unless he really improves on it. And it's hard to improve on it given his style. If you're going to be a swarmer, if your whole style is to just overwhelm opponents with heavy bombs, and you have the cardio for it, that's key, but your defense has to be on point. There's not enough fakes. There's not enough feints, right? Those hands are low. Um, He's relying on those slips, but they're not nearly as effective as they could be. And to be fair... a little... Yeah. I mean, a very... (laughs) Sorry, God. I was going to say very different style, but like that's kind of how Chuck Liddell fought. Yeah, and can you imagine Chuck Liddell in today's 205-pound division? I mean, Chuck Liddell only swarmed when he hurt you. He was relatively patient, but he was an incredibly sloppy, period, like in, in just about every way. Um, he wasn't so much a swarmer unless he really hurt you. Like, Tito Ortiz buzzed. Yeah, he's going to put 40 punches right. on Chuck, you. Chuck Liddell's greatest strength was his ability to sprawl on good wrestlers. Exactly, and his ability to get up once he does get taken down. He was the guy that, that revolutionized the sport in that way, right? That's probably the biggest contribution he made to the sport is the wall walk. Chuckle Dub was the only guy that could do it. And like they spoke about it as if he has this special ability. Um, and then guys started catching up on it and actually picking up on it. Uh, Jury might just change the sport in his own way, in his own style. But I mean, we've already seen the Swarmers do well, especially a guy with tremendous heart, tremendous cardio. 
it's just like you can take damage at this age but eventually man like you can't take this level of damage like this is going to wear on you and you're going to start getting knocked out if you're fighting like jerry prashaska but at 205 if there's any place you can get away with it for a little while this is the spot to do it what are you expecting next nick do you expect these guys will rematch or is jerry going to fight the winner of uh, uncle i smith yeah i think the latter as much as i would love to see a rematch i um Listen, Glover did did everything in the book. He was a crafty motherfucker, and there's like his Glover's incremental improvements are not going to be like leaps and bounds. Like Jiri knows, Jiri would be ready for all of this stuff uh, this time. So i I think it I think Jiri would would win, um, and it would maybe take some of the shine off of you know off of that fight. The I think he should get the winner of Ankalaev. Um, Uncle I of Smith, although I think Jerry should be able to beat either of those guys. I actually think that Jan is a tougher fight, but um, they seem to want to be holding up on that. I feel like I, I Jan has so much power in that counter shot. Um, I, I think I could see it posing some uh danger compared to compared to Smith or Uncle yeah. Um, also, Smith's, ta- Smith's ability to take down and smother is probably comparable to uh to glovers his jujitsu isn't no as way. good but his jujitsu is not as good but his t- i think his takedowns are pretty good uh I'm, I'm not so sure i think this version of glover maybe uh, his takedowns right now could be comparable to glover you know five years ago when he was struggling a bit more i think glover's like takedown game has gone to a different league and i don't think anthony smith is quite there anthony smith will do that against guys oh, no, i wasn't i was i wasn't talking about anthony smith oh. i was talking about jan blahovich oh um yeah uh his, that's right I, I, I was, yes. my, my point was i think jan blahovich is a tougher fight than Ankalaev, who I love, really or, interesting, um, or Smith right now. I think Jan, I think Jan's a slightly tougher fight. I think he's been in there with higher stake stuff. I think his counter is really, I think his, his counter is ferocious. Yes, and Jiri's very count, and Jiri's very counterable. Yes, um, and and Jan's got a, and, and Jan's pretty durable. He is. Uh, I agree with you. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm intrigued by any of those matchups. Not so much Anthony Smith at this point, unless if Anthony Smith beats Ankalaev and he tends to finish guys right. If he can pull that off, then yeah, why not? Um, it does seem like it was weird that they had a moment, uh, Yuri and Jan, after the fight, as Jan was in the crowd and Jan was like all about the rematch. Before the fight, they showed him on camera. He was like, I'm next to the camera. Like, you could tell what he was saying, even though you couldn't hear it. And then after the fight, he had like kind of a weird, little bit of an awkward moment with Jerry, where Jerry just walked away, just had a war with the guy that basically uh, they were like playing and hugging and stuff. It was typical. It, 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 typical it got like, congratulations. It got a little bit more intense. Congratulations. At the end. Great job. We're doing it. Uh, yeah. It got a little more intense I, I with John, John at the end. Little, uh, little, I saw John the was a little drunk. I think you're right. I, I think that might be a factor. Yeah. And to be fair, Yuri, when he congratulated Glover on beating Jan several months ago, he was super respectful. He didn't stick around. He didn't make the moment about himself. He just said, congratulations. That was amazing. Glover said, Oh, you next, huh? And he was like, congratulations, that was amazing. He turned around and walked away, right? Like, like I, I, I can appreciate that. Granted, maybe Jan was inebriated and, and maybe that's a factor, but a little bit of an awkward moment yeah. there. Um, I, 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 yeah, I like I Jan think, a lot. I didn't think he was, I, I did too. I didn't, I didn't, I think it, 
I think they they were he was a little fired up, and I could see anyone being fired up. I didn't think it I didn't think it was like lacked class. I just thought it was like I actually thought I thought Jiri handled it beautifully. Yeah, but I didn't think yeah I didn't think Jan was like over the line or or a, or a dick or anything. Uh, yeah, I, I thought I thought it was I thought it was close if not over. And and again, Jan is just like campaigning for the matchup. I get it for Jan. This is like bigger money. This is bigger legacy. This is good for him, right? Yeah, he's obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's also in the crowd. It's not like he came into the cage and did that. So, no, like, it was but... it was Yuri on his way out. You know, he he called his intention to congratulate him. Yeah. And then like again, it, it like and Yuri alluded to the fact that it got a little bit intense toward the end there. Um, again, the dude just went to fucking war. He just won the title. Like, let him have his moment. But anyway, all good. Uh, I, I I love me some Jan. I think this would be a fantastic matchup. I'm I'm into any of those options. Nick, let's discuss the co-main event. Not my favorite fighter is Valentina Shevchenko. I I, I don't I don't think that's a secret at this point. Uh, in that she is, a, you know, at least on paper, extremely talented, but doesn't really apply that talent to just smoke girls that are leagues below her. This was not the case here. Um, I think I gave like of any uh, MMA prediction, uh, <laughs> MMA uh, odds makers, any of the uh, analysts. I think I gave um, uh, Talia Santos the most chance. Like I talked about how she has the actual skill to do well in this matchup. She has the athleticism that almost none of Valentina Shevchenko's opponents had combined with size. But she doesn't have the experience. That's kind of how I feel like this fight turned out. There's, there's uh, you know, talks in the MMA world about this being a uh, not a great decision. Maybe people aren't throwing Screwjob out as much. But this not being a very, uh, like, a good decision, right? And that Talia Santos earned those first three rounds based on her control. And I see the argument there. I think as you and I were watching separately, we were texting about how uh, of those three rounds... It's either 3-0 Tali Santos, 2-1 Tali Santos, or it could literally be one for Tali Santos and two for Shevchenko because Shevchenko did more damage in a couple of those rounds where she was controlled, even from her back, even as Tali Santos had her back. Shevchenko was was just throwing bombs at her. Kenny Florian on the Anna Conforia podcast was really fired up about this, how control and like uh, a dominant position in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu should count for as much as a knockdown or something along those lines because you're on the brink of getting finished. But there's a major difference. A knockdown, a serious body shot that crumbles you, it does serious damage. And, you know, uh, attempting a rear naked choke that's not super close doesn't really do damage unless you're really cutting off some air for a little bit. And and that's kind of a reward in itself and that your opponent's cardio might be affected, right? Um, but it doesn't do the same level of damage. And the criteria does base damage as as kind of the number one criteria. Here's the thing. You get a dominant position in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, do some damage, do some damage. That's going to open up submission opportunities. That can help you set up your submissions. That can help. That could allow you to finish the fight. That can allow you to do the kind of damage that makes your opponent unable to really fight back, right? But that lack of damage, like those uh, two of those first three rounds, could have absolutely gone either way. And you and I discussed that going into it. Shevchenko did more damage, and that's where the judges have been kind of siding lately. I'm okay with that. I think given the headbutt that Talia Santos um, uh, was, was the kind of, uh, was the one that got the worst end of it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure whose fault that is. I certainly don't think it was intentional, but broke her orbital bone, swelled up her eye. She couldn't really see from that side. And a lot of the strikes that Shevchenko was landing after that was from that side. So Talia Santos was seriously affected. Um, Valentina Shevchenko, I think we got to consider, she's, I think, 35 now, right? She's at a point where she's probably not going to be improving. She's been fighting really bad competition at 125 pounds overall. Um, I, I think uh, Jessica Andrade was her best win in many years. Outside of that, she's fighting either either a bunch of women that really don't belong near a title shot or women who only are in the conversation to a title shot because the rest of the division is that bad. Like, she can't get. Like, she can't get uh, yeah, is a good how, fighter. But she's how, do you, of, uh-huh. 
but how do you how do you discount the fact that that Shevchenko arguably beat Amanda Nunes, who's much bigger than her? Well, that's fair. They were both extremely careful, right? Amanda Nunes didn't go aggressively for those takedowns, and we've seen that that's what worked for Amanda Nunes, where she decisively beat Shevchenko in their first fight. She got top position, I believe, in the first two rounds, if I'm not mistaken, um, and was able to do, was able to control and do some damage from there. Whereas the third round, Shevchenko started to take over a bit, right? But that was only a three round fight. Um, Amanda was extremely careful in that fight. It was a high-risk uh, kind of matchup in her mind. You can tell Shevchenko took Talia Santos seriously. She had she had a different kind of edge to her on, on fight week th- this time, right? The way she was discussing her, she wasn't willing to give her any legitimate credit. She wasn't willing to concede anything to her mentally, right? Um, and she clearly took her extremely seriously just by the, the look on her face throughout fight week. Like, she clearly realized that Talia Santos is on a different level athletically from the other girls that she had been yeah. fighting that there was a much higher danger level here kind of like the way that she probably approached the amanda nunez matchup and it turned out to be that way i think talia santos could very well be a future champ you know what would suck nick if talia santos becomes kind of the dominic reyes of this division where she, you know he arguably beat john jones arguably took those first three rounds from him and then the judges ended up swinging and giving jones the fight and then it's been all downhill for him since and i hope that i talia- mean Chikate- mm-hmm. Chukagian could beat her. Ferro, me, we'll see. I mean, Ferro's fighting on draw now. You know what? I'm, I'm very intrigued. If Talia Santos doesn't get an immediate rematch, I, I think Chukagian would be a fascinating matchup. It's a shame because Chukagian keeps knocking off these would-be contenders, and Shevchenko would rather fight Chukagian or Lauren Murphy or anybody else. Misha Tate, anybody besides Talia Santos. I don't think it was a good look for her after the fight. Like, the way that Valentina Shevchenko, uh, and Jacek handled her just kind of terrible loss, right? Versus the way that Valentina Shevchenko handled her win, not great, man. Not a great look. You're, you're not really giving her much credit. You're, you're you're just kind of acting like you clearly deserve the fight, and there's no question about it. And you did more damage than she was just holding, kind of thing. It's not a good look. Give her some credit. Say that you're you want to fight her again, right? Like she wasn't talking that way, man. She was talking like she'd rather fight anybody but her. She mentioned Lauren Murphy, Nick, after the fight that they had. She mentioned Lauren Murphy as somebody who might get another title shot. She mentioned Misha Tate, who who is. Like well, that's a that's a get, that's a get paid. Well, I mean, if if I'm to defend Valentina Shevchenko for yeah. a second, yeah, like she doesn't get to headline a lot of cards. She doesn't get the big points. Like Misha Tate's a draw. Misha Tate's red panty is as red panty night as you're going to get at 125 right now. Well, uh, like if, let her get paid. Well, if I don't know if Valentina Shevchenko gets paid pay per view points, I would guess not. To be honest with you, if she's a he- well, if but whatever, if if it's what I'm saying is, I think that Tate Shevchenko could probably main event at pay-per-view you think so i i wonder if tate has that uh that level of cash maybe she does um but it's borderline but like but to mention lauren murphy like to mention basically like the winner of that fight clearly you're not trying to fight this very like very obvious uh matchup that is difficult for you on paper now look does she need to give talia santos an immediate rematch who was the challenger no she doesn't need to i i kind of get it from that angle but it is it, it does give us a look deeper into Valentina Shevchenko's weaknesses, into where she, you know, she's she's not that if she can't submit you off her back, if you have really solid submission defense, if you have solid grappling chops, you can dominate her on the ground. You can get dominant. She's not great. She's not great at getting back up. She's not yeah. great at getting back up, right? She she caught some arm bars over. Uh, we've seen that when she's gotten taken down in the past uh, against um, against Julia Juliana Pena, right? Who got top position on her was like doing pretty okay, controlling her in the clinch. Um, and eventually Valentina Shevchenko caught that armbar. If she hadn't caught that armbar, would she have lost that decision, right? Like that's like we, we look back at her career in a, in a slightly different way. And if you think about it, her head coach is almost exclusively a striking coach. We see her drilling strikes 
Very rarely do we see her tri- uh, drilling her ground game. Her sister, who's a good kickboxer in a better division, or is it in the same division? Is her sister fighting at 125? Same. Yes. So the same division. Her sister has a really mediocre ground game. Now, Shevchenko is obviously not nearly that bad, but we're seeing the weakness in her in her game, and, and I think this is going to give confidence to some up-and-coming fighters, but you got to have some of the attributes that Talia Santos has. you got to be that athletic. you got to be that skilled, uh, specifically on the ground, but overall, you've got to be durable. And uh, Talia Santos could be future champ. I hope she doesn't go the way of, uh, of uh, Dominic Reyes, though. Any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I don't. I don't think she'll go to the way of. of um, I don't think she'll go the way of Dominic Reyes, but I think her her striking needs to be. I think she was a, a good. I mean, she's like a panther. Like she's very. Um, I still think she's a. She's got a lot of composure and a lot of heart. I still feel like she's a little green. I feel like she doesn't have championship striking, but she's a pretty. She's a pretty darn good athlete. Like I still like a lot of raw. It's just like a lot of raw athletic power, like uh, determination and will to win, and um, I think she's going to be trouble for most uh, for most of the division. Yeah, but I I don't you know I don't know if I I don't know if I agree that she's a future champion. I think she's going to I think she'll be in the mix. Well, with Shevchenko being thirty five, thirty six, uh, you know she's again she's going to start to slip presumably sooner or later. She's maybe already started. Talia Santos is still a young lady has 21 fights of experience, including a five-round title fight against, you know, arguably the best pound-for-pound female fighter on the planet. So, like, Talia Santos is only going to improve. She didn't take the kind of damage that will mess her mind up or, or cause CTE, etc. She just, like, took a really bad shot to the eye and, uh, and, and obviously broke her orbital bone. Mentally, she was on point that whole week, according to John Anik and the interviews and, and all that. Like, she wasn't given a single hint of weakness. So, yeah, I think she has a lot of potential. I, I think... If anybody can dethrone Valentina Shevchenko, I, I think we've seen now that it's Talia Santos. And then Nick, the the third biggest yeah, fight. just mm-hmm. well, I, I would say here's I think the rebound fight for Talia Santos is Jennifer Maya. I'm intrigued by it. I have no issue with that whatsoever, and and it's another lady that took a round off of Valentina Shevchenko. So yeah, wh- wh- why the heck not? I think it's better than risking her against Shukagian, who, you know, Shukagian might just might just outpoint her at a distance and. Shkagan doesn't really have a real shot, I don't think, against Valentina Shevchenko. Maybe she does I, now. Maybe yeah, she's going like, to go for top position. She tried, though. She was getting like thrown around. I like both of those fights. Yeah. Um, I, I will say quickly, like the, head, the head and arm throw that Valentina Shevchenko kept kept uh, getting Talia Santos in. Pretty low-level move. Over exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's the Michelle Watterson move. Yeah. And, and, and they, told, they told her, if you do your throws, don't lose top position. And then she did it. She seemed to be doing – I, I wonder about the, co- glo- the coaching that Glover got, too, especially in the fifth round. If these guys were not listening or if the coaches were checked out, but like, you know, if your coach says like you're getting flipped over on the throw and then you go and double down on the throw, like, what do you try? Like, come on. I think, like, I think it's you... instinctual for Valentina who's known for drilling, just drilling repeatedly for hours on end. I think it was instinctual for her. Once she felt that leverage in the clinch, she almost couldn't help but going for it. And I think it was her way of like avoiding the takedown by Talia Santos. Um, except again, like against a, a solid grappler, a high level grappler, they're gonna they're likely to take your back. They're likely to get top position from there because you don't have an underhook with that head and arm throw, right? You don't really even have an overhook. You have like you have like your arm wrapped around your opponent's head. Your opponent has the underhook, which gives them the leverage to pull your weight off of them and get those hooks in, uh, kind of because they're partially behind you already in that head and arm throw situation. And again, it's a common move in women's MMA. It's just not a high level move. Uh, the reason it works in women's MMA is because girls aren't as savvy to it as Talia Santos was in this matchup. Then we had Wei Li Zhang, Yuan Ajacek. I mean, 
you know, I, I thought there was value on you and Jacek if she was a plus 150 underdog. Otherwise, like once you told me that she wasn't that big of an underdog, I was like, no, Weili Zhang should uh, edge this out. I didn't expect her to dominate um, the way that she did. I did expect her to get top position. I expected her to grapple and for that to be her key to victory, to not make this as competitive of a fight. But man, that spinning back fist was devastating, Nick. Yeah, it was. I mean, what I loved about this fight was Joanna never stopped trying to win. Uh, I yes. mean, but whole, yeah, she the power the power differential was crazy. The you know Joanna's always been an like a almost like a Gen One or Gen Two fighter in that she was you know she was the original like women's MMA or women's UFC sprawl um sprawl and brawl kickboxer yeah I mean, we were talking about chuck liddell before but that's what made joanna so amazing when the when the division started was you know the carlos barges of the world like nobody could get her down if you weren't going to get her down you were going to face world-class kickboxing yeah um and her, she wasn't the kind of fighter whose kickboxing deteriorated because she was worried about the takedown she it was she was just kind of like, and she was younger, of course, but she's like a kind of this remarkable um, athlete who, who could, you know, keep on her feet and push and push this pace. And, uh, you know, not the most durable. Um, I mean, in some ways she's incredibly durable, but we've also seen her knocked out a couple times, which doesn't happen a ton in, in women's MMA. Um, but she's small. Like, Joanna, I don't know what Joanna cuts. But like she is, she looked so small in there compared to Weili Zhang. Like she's very, very lean, um, and you know she did everything she could. But like it was that was a, that was a a classic, uh, ch- you know, changing of the guard yeah. fight. Like Wei Zhang is twenty twenty two, you know, twenty twenty two straw weight, and Joanna is thirty almost thirty five and ready, you know, and and clearly like. Uh, was interested in one last run um, and is ready to hang him up. But boy, did she, was she a star? And did she give us a, an entertaining, awesome fights and events in both victory and defeat? And she only lost, we should note, to the very, very best, to a bigger Valentina Shevchenko, to a, um, a, a twice champion Rose Namajunas. And, you know, argue, you could say arguably she was one and one against Weili Zhang, but in the record books, oh, and two, um, everybody else, she, she, you know, she lit up. We did, you know, the person that, that, that pegged up Jessica Penny and, and Rose, uh, and I'm sorry, and Carla Esparza, you know, not the same person that beat Michelle Waterson, like not, you know, the competition was a little bit better That's at that time. And like, and her, better, yeah. the competition was better, but she, but her, uh, her fear, her feet, her pace her pace and the and the the sting on her punches, I think, le, you know, lessened a little bit. Um, it's amazing that Car- what Carla's done because she was, you know, she was the original person that got run over by Oana, and now she's got the strap. Yeah. So, like, props to her. But all we can say is like gratitude for for Oana and this notion of a Sparza Rose Weili Zhang and these and somebody and you know put Mackenzie Dern in the mix. Like these up and these up and comers, it's just going to be fucking musical chairs with the title for the foreseeable future. I'm not so sure. I, I actually kind of feel like Weili Zhang, this version of her, I think she's pretty likely to win the title from Esparza. And outside of Rose, I don't see a lot of people having a great shot against well, her. Yeah, but then, well, Rose is 2-0 and against her. So she'll, I mean, I think, well, Rose, I think Rose has her number. 
One thing that we're seeing with Whaley also is that in rematches, she's much better. She arguably, she lost to Rose by knockout in the first fight, granted. But in the rematch, she arguably won the fight. So, like, much better performance, right? Same thing with Ioana Janjicic. It was a firefight. Arguably lost the fight to Ioana Janjicic. But you got to consider she's, she's a developing fighter. She's now, like, on the upper peak of her development, given the level of uh, kind of craft that she has to her game overall. But she was still a developing fighter. She's improving. Rose is not mentally improving. Rose is not necessarily physically. I, well, Rose is still point. in her twenties, which is shocking. Which is crazy, right? Considering but. that Weili Zhang is thirty-two years old, uh, that is wild to me. That Rose is is, is that young. But Yo- uh, look, Joanna had a fantastic career. She beat Carolina uh, KK back when she was like a really good fighter. She beat Jessica Andrade when she was already a really good fighter. Claudia Gadelhi at the height of her uh, career twice. Ca- yeah, twice. Uh, Carla Carla Esparza. Uh, she beats, uh, you know, when Esparza was the champ, and Esparza's still a good fighter, but she kind of like rocked she, her up. She she made she made Carlos Esparza and Jessica Penny early on look silly. She did, and to be fair, uh, it was more of a mental thing with Carlos Esparza in that matchup. I think she was really intimidated. I don't, I don't think she was ready for that heat for that smoke. But Jessica Penny was never really on that level. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, she wasn't really deserving of a title shot at any point in her career. She was just like was somebody around that had a win or something. Essentially, that's how nascent this division was. Uh, you know, in 2015, 2014, when when Yuana came in, uh, 2015, I should say, when Yuana came in uh, and started doing her thing. It was actually 2014 that she entered the UFC. By the way, um, the most recent UFC Mar- fighter. Marina Rodriguez, by the way. Sorry. Oh, that that's another that's another great one. This division is fantastic. I'm, I'm excited about it. But Weili Zhang, dude, with that wrestling, her level of athleticism is just in a different stratosphere from just about everybody else. I would say Marina Rodriguez. Um, Mackenzie Dern and obviously Rosna Mayunas are are not far from her in athleticism, but they're not quite on that level, man. Like her strength, her explosiveness, her the power. strength. The strength is the thing. As much as you know, I'm a huge Mackenzie Dern mark, but like, and I think she's got all of these skills and a killer instincts. I really think she's like women's MMA Brian Ortega in a lot of ways. Yeah, but but the strength differential between her and Weili Zhang is going to be substantial. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. And again, uh, her biggest weakness is her offensive takedowns of Weili Zhang. She's showing that her wrestling, now that she's got a wrestling game, combined with her athleticism and strength, is going to be so hard to compete with. Uh, yes. And Nick, you want to get a fantastic career. Two and five, right, in her last seven after being undefeated uh, leading up to that. Division got tougher. Like, things weren't going to be that easy and that simple uh, forever, right? Fighting girls like Jessica Pena and, and an underprepared... Um, uh, Carla Sparza, and you know, like I think everything caught up to her. She's a superstar in Poland. She's got a lot of avenues to make money. She wants to stay involved in the sport. I'm glad to hear that. She had a very special moment at the end of that fight, a once in her lifetime kind of moment. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, no, and, and well, no. Finish your thought. Finish I just want to quickly point out the difference between the way that Ronda Rousey left the scene after a devastating loss and the way that Joanna Jacek left the scene after a devastating loss. Two different leagues. Yeah, two different leagues of human beings. For Joanna, literally you were talking not about the spinning back fist, which was devastating and, and literally could be knocked out of the air. You were talking about the special, the emotional moment she had at the end. How positive I still question was. whether she should have been interviewed when she was concussed. It reminded it was like Daniel doing an interview that was just like after he got interviewed when he got knocked out by Jones. That's true. I'm pretty sure Joanna, who was taking her gloves off, requested it. Like she was clearly about to announce her retirement. I'm pretty sure she yeah, requested it. And in fact, as Daniel was about to speak to Weili Zhang, um, he kind of turned around and said like, yeah, yeah, we'll do or something like that to Joanna. Uh, and I'm assuming Joanna asked to have a couple words. And dude, she was as clear-headed as she could be. Like there's nobody that takes uh, takes advantage of 
uh, mic opportunity like Joanna after getting knocked out like that. That, that was just incredible. That was that was yeah. such a special moment. I literally I was emotional for her. I really was, and it was like it, it was it was a special moment that I won't soon forget. Joanna is fantastic. Wei Li Zhang is the future of this division, in my opinion. And like you said, there's a lot of other prospects on the come up. So super excited for Wei Li to get her uh, title shot against Carlos Barza, and then presumably Rose Namajunas after a win will will end up fighting uh, Wei Li Zhang for a third time. Uh, Nick. Jake Matthews. No, wait, wait. I might have been nuts, but just something to call out real quick. Yeah. Did, I'm pretty sure that when Joanna came out, there was someone in the front row that she went and gave like a big hug to. And I think it was former gold medal ice skater Oksana Bayul. Oh, uh, I'm not did familiar. Is she that? Polish? No. I did not notice. No, she's Ukrainian. Oksana's Ukrainian. Um, no, I, I did not. I did not realize that at all. Um, didn't notice that one bit. I, I wouldn't have recognized Oksana, to be honest with you. No. Um, so Jake Matthews, man, lit up Andre Fialho. You and I disagreed on this one, and I just thought Jake Matthews was going to be able to get takedowns, and I thought that Andre Fialho was getting touched up by a real, like a jobber in his last fight. Um, and, you know, as much as Andre Fialho could land a bomb with his pressure game, he seems hesitant because of how just fast and explosive and technical Jake Matthews was, man. He leveled up his boxing game, there's no doubt, but it helps that Andre Fialho is pretty hittable. And it helps that there's a huge experience gap there. I'm really glad to see this version of Jake and, Matthews. We know he has a double a leg size, takedown. Size difference, man. The oh, size yeah. difference was insane. By the way, Jake Matthews, a former lightweight man, he used to fight at 155. For him to be much bigger than the, as far as I can tell, always uh, uh, welterweight Andre Fialho, super impressive. Jake Matthews just let him up, did whatever he wanted, Nick. And Andre Fialho had no answers. It made him tentative. Uh, it made that knockout a little bit easier for Jake Matthews to come to, man. That was incredible he set up everything there were fakes and feints he was snappy he was fast um you know he's never really believed in a stand-up to this extent to really show this and i think it helped that he was fighting a pretty beatable opponent like a pretty hittable opponent i should say but there was some danger there and he was not afraid of it man super impressive agree agree he just ran through him man that was incredible. um jack de la um Survived like a submission attempt. Survived a very tough position, yes. You really did. I, I genuinely, I, for a second there, Nick, I was like, holy shit, that's fully locked in. That's, I mean, it's done. Ramazan Amiv is going to get his first UFC finish, maybe against his best opponent yet, you're telling me? Um, and, dude, Jack Della just stayed calm, peeled his arm off, right? He relieved the pressure from the choking arm, and then peeled the other arm off, loosened the position, got up, and just applied that pressure, similar to the way Jury did it at the end of a couple of those rounds against Glover, where as soon as he got out of Bottom position, he he got into top position, he just blasted away. Jack Della did that standing up, just put pressure on him, landed that beautiful left hook to the body. Ramazan Amiyev was not trying to stay in there any longer. He was he was done, and Jack Della, man, is looking like a really special prospect after going 0-2 in his first two fights, Nick. Uh, goes on to 12-0 and after that in the UFC now. Two resounding victories. One arguably should have been a victory that, that you know, d- didn't end up, uh, ended up being a no contest, but... Jack Della seems like a special prospect. I'm really, really excited about him, man. Yeah, I mean, on the main card, keeping that keeping that composure using the choke is awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about the the main prelim. Holy shit, this fight! Um, I hope it got fighted. I guess it. Well, I guess you. This would have been fighted, and I don't know what got fighted tonight, but the main uh, event, probably the sure. main event. Yeah, yeah. But this would have been the 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 runner up, probably. Um, although Santos was good too, but Josh Kulabau. And Sung Woo Choi just like went to war, and this was a, a really interesting fight. And you've got Choi, who is was def- is definitely more athletic and um, and very technical, but Kulabau is like a fighter, <laughs> I 
I think that the his timing, his scrappiness, he was he was very crafty in his counters and looking for angles, and he just um, and he was very fast. So you had this. I don't know how I guess I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. The the difference in styles, but this technical guy in Choi who's not wasn't really able to kind of adjust to getting hit and didn't really have a plan B versus this absurdly resourceful kind of like more Swiss army knife of a fighter in Josh Kulabau who maintains control for, for most of the fight and hurt Choi badly um, a lot. Yes, he ate some shots and got hurt. Choi is a, is a specimen. If he hits you, he's going to hurt you. Um, but, you know, Kulabau with his style is now 10 and one versus Choi at 10 and five. What were your thoughts on this uh, on, on this very, very fun fight? Yeah, Kulabau was uh, one of my underdogs that I picked for this event. And, like, I've been a big believer in him since prior to his UFC debut. I, I gave him – I don't know if I picked him against Jalen Turner, but I remember, like, saying, like, this kid's got something. He, he doesn't suck as much as, like, he's being disrespected by the odds makers. And I thought – I saw a great two-point opportunity for Kulabau being this big of an underdog against Sung Woo Choi, who we saw in his last fight, wasn't really ready for primetime, didn't necessarily have the conditioning to go the long haul. And it was Koulibaly's speed, man. Impeccable speed. He was just on a different level. And it was just snappy, snappy punches. And there were moments where, like, Sung Woo Choi would, like, you know, maybe land a couple of shots. He was a little bit busier early in the round. And then suddenly, Koulibaly just throws a combo. Pop, 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 pop. And Choi's down, man. And Choi's surviving in survival mode. Um, it, it was those opportunistic moments. It was really impressive by Joshua Koulibaly, who's really now, I think, going to get some respect from odds makers after this performance. It's about goddamn time. I've seen the I've seen the prospect potential of him for a little bit now, even though he's lost his UFC debut to the much bigger Jalen Turner. Jalen Turner, who's huge for 155. Uh, Koulibaly had to make a short notice debut against him. He got finished by him, but coming down to 145, he's a decent size. He's fast. He doesn't look very athletic, but that speed is going to suggest otherwise. Um, I think strength and conditioning is going to be a part of the key for him. He needs to put on a little more strength. I, I don't know that he needs more muscle. He just needs strength. He needs to be a little bit stronger so that he's more effective with his takedown offense and more effective with his takedown defense so that he can decide where the fight goes. He's got a solid uh, top game. He's got really good boxing, really good stand-up. And we saw that here, man. Sung Woo Choi, who, you know, is a, is a formidable opponent, man. Joshua Kulabak touched him the fuck up. And Sung Woo Choi is going from, like, you know, it was really looked at as a prospect. Now, you know, he, he's got... Um, kind of two losses at the beginning of his UFC career. And, and, and now, you know, at this point in his UFC career, Sanders uh, sandwiching kind of three wins in there. His three wins against, uh, you know, two of them are against uses along Julian Rosa. That's really impressive, especially considering he finished the Rosa, but the losses to Alex Caceres, Joshua Koulibau, Gavin Tucker, Mozart, Evlov, that's tough, man. And, and it's understandable to lose to Tucker and Evlov in your first two UFC fights, but you know, he's, he's kind of slowly being relegated to journeyman status, depending on how this goes. It's a tough division. It's hard to keep working your way up, even as a serious, talented prospect here. But Joshua Kulabau looked in fucking incredible. Um, and, and then I think the only thing really we need to dive into outside of that is... Oh, wait, the, no, 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 no. What do you want for Kulabau next? Kulabau next at 145. Let me see. I actually brought up the rankings. Let's see if I can quickly pull this up. Um, I, 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 would think, I would think bottom of the top 15 would be perfect for Kulabau. I don't think he's going to get the slow roll. Like, usually when you have an impressive performance, more particularly when you finish, the UFC puts you in the fire. I don't want them to do that to him here. He didn't get a finish, and I think I think that might help him. Um, I mean, it's tough, right, when you have Ilya Teporia at number 15, that scary, frightening motherfucker who might be top one or two material in the world. Um, I would say Shane Burgos, Edson Barbosa. Uh, I'm happy with either of those two matchups. I don't necessarily want to see him face a Yusuf, uh, Sadiq Yusuf. I don't want to see him face... And Ilya Teporia. I well, you've see- got, mm-hmm. yeah. Dan Ige, that makes sense? 
But you have Bur- I think that might be a little up. I mean, he's you've got Burgos fighting Charles Jordan um, this later next month. Like well, he, I know he's he already, already beat Jordan. Uh, he, well, he already had that draw. Already, I should say with Jordan. Yeah, he already beat Jordan, but I, I'd watch that again. I think that's interesting. I'd also I also think it's an interesting clash of styles um, to put him in there with Damon Jackson. Um. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'm into that. That's a great matchup. I think that gives him the slow roll that I have in mind, Nick, so I'm definitely into it. And then from there, you can go up to the Duatos, the Yousafs, the Igays, you know? Yes, yes. I, I think I think that makes uh, a lot of sense, Nick, and, 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 I'm, and I'm signing up for that. Uh, and then outside of that, I think there's only one fight worth breaking down, and that was my other underdog pick. I picked... Jacob Malcone as a plus two fifty, a minus two, uh, plus two fifty underdog against Brendan Allen because I thought Malcone has the better wrestling. He would be able to get takedowns. He showed a really good jab in this fight as well. Um, and Brendan Allen ended up walking away with a very competitive decision that you know arguably could have gone either way. Brendan Allen did a little bit more damage. Uh, Jacob Malcone did a lot more control and did some damage as well. Um, you and I both thought that Jacob Malcone earned this decision and. And, you know, more the majority of MMA decisions, uh, scorecards that were put in were for Jacob Malcoon. But unfortunately, the three points invaded me. Nick. I'll take my three points uh, advantage that I, that I picked up in this event. But this would have been a six six points that I would have picked up at this event if Malcoon had walked away with it. It's a shame, man. He's a really good fighter. He's starting to yeah. develop his game. Trains with the best in the world and or one of the best in the world in Robert Whitaker, right? So he has all those intangibles. And Brandon Allen was exactly the kind of step that I thought he could get through. Unfortunately, the judges did not agree, man. So, so you ended up for us in this event. Then it was I picked up one point last week. You got two this week. So you're up what now? Ten. I got I got three points this week because uh, Kulabat was a was a two point underdog. Oh wait, I picked that fight. I oh, picked you Joy. picked that fight, so I only got two points. You're right. No, I, we were we were we were really bad this week. Between the two of right. us, we only had two correct picks, and they were both yours. No, that's fair. But I, I did. There were a couple of there were a couple of my picks, like the Jacob Malcolm pick that should have gone my way but didn't. Um, I also had I made pretty good picks for this event. Um, my my Na Liang pick uh, definitely hurt me. Um, I got Jocelyn Edwards right. I got Kyung Ho Kang right. I got I arguably got Jacob Malkun right. Um, Mahashate was fantastic, man. The way that he countered, he showed power that he didn't show before. And I picked Steve Garcia. That was a bad pick on my part, but I feel like I, made, I did a pretty good job of picking. I got seven correct on this event and four wrong. Which, if you look around, there's not. It should have been eight correct, by the way, with that Malkun fight. But, uh, but the, you know, like this was a hard event to pick correctly, just based on all the underdog swings. And I talked about how there's a lot of underdog opportunity on this one. I'm not ashamed of any of the other dogs I, I argued for. One being Jacob Malkoon, another being uh, Kulibau, another being Glover Teixeira. Like I, I talked about how Talia Sanders uh, yeah, was sprinkling I mean, a couple of dollars by uh, decision on. I was 20. I would have, we, would have, we would have tied if Teixeira had lasted 28 more seconds. Yes, so yes, you're not Whatever. I don't, feel, I don't feel all that bad. Battergall, we both picked. I lost that. You know. Uh, but no, Batgirl, I disagreed with you that one. I got, I got uh, Kyung Ho Kang in that matchup. Uh, I, I picked Kang, yeah, because I thought his ground game would actually come through. He wasn't able to get takedowns, but man, did he fucking piece him up. That jab was fantastic, man. The jab is a superpower. If you can develop a good jab in MMA, you're going to be successful. It's it's basically that simple, and he showed it, man. That was, uh, that was really, really impressive stuff. Nick, should we take a break, come back, and break down UFC Fight Night Cater yes, versus Emmett? This is going to be fucking gonna exciting, be man. A bombs. Great yes. Really is, man. Let's take this break.
back on the podcast and we're going to get into the MMA Geeks draft. Nick and I take turns picking fighters competing on the upcoming card, tally up the points at the end of the week. Uh, you get one point for a successful pick. You get two points for a successful underdog pick of plus 150 or above. Three points for an underdog of plus 250 or above. Nick, I came close to scoring one of those last week. Um, it's going to be a while until uh, till that's going to happen, I'm sure, but uh, it's, a, it's a cool challenge to try and take on. You probably you probably deserved it. Uh, yeah, I'm probably, ready, man. Yeah, uh, my first. Yeah. What's your first pick, brother? Ready for my first pick? Yeah, I'm gonna go in in the uh, on the undercard. There's a bantamweight fight that I feel pretty strongly about. We have the grizzled veteran, 24 and 15 and one for a t- that's a total of uh, of 40 pro fights. The fireman Eddie Wineland is on the card. He hasn't won against a fighter still in the UFC in a really long time. And he got knocked out pretty badly each of his last two times out. He's going up against Cody Stamen, who is not a world beater. He's kind he's 32. He's kind of it makes sense he's from Sparta, Michigan, because he's he's one of those guys who's he's in the he almost even though like he's not very old, he seems like a Gen 1 or Gen 2 um MMA fighter, wrestle boxer. To me, he's really, really good. Um, but I think that his his style um, and his physical ability have have a peak. That said, um, I don't know if he'll be able to get Wineland out of there with a KO, but I could see him TKOing him, controlling him on the ground. I don't think Wineland's got the pop or the speed anymore to hurt a fighter the level of Cody Stamen. Um, so I'm going to pick Cody Stamen either by pretty clear-cut decision, um, at the best at 29-28 if Wineland comes out fast, and if Stamen starts a little bit slow, but I think this, I really just don't see a lot of paths to victory here for Eddie Wineland over the course of 15 minutes. Nikolai, I have to agree with you on the pick. This might be the rare occasion where Cody Stamen could possibly, conceivably, get a knockout, Nick. Got his hit very hard. Yeah. He's got good footwork. He's got some fancy kicks. The wrestling you mentioned, right? He's got elements to his game that make him just a sub-elite fighter. And Eddie Wineland is, unfortunately, at this point, far from that at this age. He's lost his durability, man. His chin is up, and you, you can't do that when your dur- durability's gone, right? And that hasn't really changed. Look, he can buzz. He was the, or the ultimate, yeah, the ultimate WEC fighter, and I say that as a compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was a, he was an early on WEC 135-pound champ. In my opinion, the best division in the UFC, um, and this is the reason why Cody Stamen is not an elite fighter is because this is the best division. There are other uh, divisions in which his skill set could bring him to number two maybe possibly even champ on a slow couple of years. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, he can he can play away at a guy like this. Eddie Wineland has a shot at just landing a big right hand and Cody Stamen dropping. It's possible. It's just not likely. Yeah, he just, he, he hasn't he hasn't done that to anybody in, in, in at least three years. And no one is Cody Stamen's level in quite a long time. Yep, you're right about that. I am going to make my first pick, and that's going to be in the Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett main. Wow. I can't believe event. you're going to the main event in your, with your first pick. I'm going for it, Nikolai. I think you're out of your mind. But really? All right. Never mind. I'm changing my pick, Nikolai. Going with something else entirely. Um, Cater used to be almost purely a boxer. Added pressure to his game, which was really important against those kickers that uh, he was having trouble with. Um, his kicking game is pretty decent. His takedowns are good now. Does some spinning shit once in a while. He's super durable. Has limitless card and shown uh, like just in kind of maturing fight IQ over the years, over his UFC career. Um, Emmett is 6-1 one at 145. Cater's 7-3 and three in the UFC, but he fought much better overall competition, right? Emmett has shown that, like, 
He's got serious power for this division. He can hurt motherfuckers all day. He hurts got people usually with his right hand. His left hook is fucking money, though. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's doable. But not against Calvin Cater. Not when you're a much shorter man. Calvin Cater's an excellent boxer. Josh Emmett doesn't really go for takedowns, right? And even though he has a wrestling skill, not using it this long, doesn't suggest that you're going to be able to take down and keep down Calvin Cater, who's actually rounded out his game. Cater's going to be the bigger man. He's going to be the better boxer. He's going to be in all likelihood more durable, right? The way that Calvin Cater survived with Max Holloway, the way that he went through the first round in his last matchup with uh, Jiga Jigadze, right? Josh Emmett got his jaw broken by Stevenson. Uh, Jeremy Stevens, excuse me. That's not a great sign against a hitter like Calvin Cater. Granted, he's learned to pace himself and throw more pitter-patter shots because he throws insanely high pace. He throws like 400 strikes, 250 strikes a fight, Nick. Um, I think that pace, I think uh, the, the fact that he's a sharper boxer, um, the, the, this this should be a fight that you put into your parlays. I, I'm a big believer in Calvin Cater in this matchup. It's possible that Emmett lands a bomb. He has that kind of power, but Cater's not the type to just succumb to something like that. I'd have to yeah, I mean... I'm with you on the pick. I wouldn't have picked it this soon. I think that Emmett's jaws just, you know, is just fine. He got, that's really his only, his only time he's ever been stopped. I mean, it is the only time he's ever been stopped. And he's been in there with guys who hit hard. Ige hits hard. Shane Burgos hits pretty hard. Michael Johnson hits like a truck. Um, Like, I just, I, I could see... Um, I also know that Cater put on some mileage. I don't care what anyone says, that Max Holloway fight took something out of the man. And I I think at 37 years old, Josh Emmett, can, I think he can finish anybody. Um, so I'm not counting him out of this. I do agree with the pick. I just wouldn't have done it this soon. And for the record, this is the same Josh Emmett that had a nip and tuck fight with Dan Ige, where Dan Ige was legitimately winning a lot of those uh, exchanges, I guess, like almost every time they were in the pocket. But Josh Emmett would occasionally land a big shot. And that would I probably, I think, lean the judges toward him. But he clearly lost that second round against Ige. Ige, we've seen he's sub-elite, maybe a little bit below that. But he's not an elite guy. And Josh Emmett, I don't think he's ready for this Calvin Cater territory. At age 37, like, he's good. He's got great fundamentals, decent team. But Calvin Cater's a fucking different beast, man. I'm pretty confident in this one. Let's see how it works yeah, out. You know, haters, haters going to hate. <laughs> Down for the okay second pick, okay gets it. It immediately it, it falls off and gets like much harder. Now. I agree. I'm actually, uh, but that said, as much as this guy drives me absolutely crazy, um, I think <clears throat> I think that Kevin Holland is kind of a bad matchup for Tim Means. Um, <clears throat> Holland tends to lose to and have trouble, um, you know, have trouble with really terrific wrestlers. I think Holland should be able to stay on his feet. I think Means is going to strike with him, and I think he's likely going to hurt Means. Uh, Means' chin has been beat up over the years. Holland's still pretty young and learning. I think this is a favorable matchup to keep a, a fairly marketable, entertaining guy uh, like Kevin Holland, who, while a veteran, is not at the you know he's not as much of a veteran as Tim Means. I think Holland should be able to strike his way to victory in this fight. You know, Nick. If I was in your position, I would have taken Tim Means at plus two motherfucking 50 for three points, Nick. I would have taken that all day. I'm just saying. Really? Tim Means is a good fighter. I'm not saying, like, if odds were even, that I would necessarily lean his way. He's a tough, gritty, relentlessly offensive motherfucker. Now, does that leave an opportunity for Kevin Holland to land a right hand? Yes. But Kevin Holland likes to pot shot at a distance. He's not nearly as dangerous with that right hand close. And... Like, I, I could see Kevin Holland landing some knees, but Tim Means is nasty in the clinch with his knees and elbows. 
Um, he's not going to succumb to that. Now, we've seen him hurt against Rodriguez, who's a big, heavy-hitting motherfucker. Um, and then submitted, I think he was, by Rodriguez in his UFC debut. Rodriguez has proven to be like a pretty tough light guy, top 15 quality for sure. Um, and so there's not a whole lot to be ashamed of there. I just feel like at plus 250 for three points, it's worth considering Tim Means given how tough he is, given that this is a style matchup in which they're both similar height. Tim Means has super high output. Um, there's some concern about him taking a right hand and getting cracked because he's gotten hurt a couple of times, but he's back in his flow, man. He's super experienced. And uh, I think Kevin Holland's the guy who makes a shitload of mistakes. Guy's fast. Um, he's powerful, but he makes so many mistakes. He just crashes the pocket all the time as a taller man. He's going to he, crash right into that clinch with Tim Means. Yeah, but he only he only loses to grapplers. No, he, he famously loses to grapplers, but let, let me quickly look at uh, his record. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. He only loses to grapplers. And maybe that's true, but he also loses to pressure fighters. Would you not like agree the, with that? Hold on. Like, um, you name a loss. Marvin Vittori. I mean, Marvin Vittori is the number two middleweight in the world, and it was his wrestling and, uh, and clinch work that, that caused problems. It wasn't like he was snapping up Holland at, you know, in the pocket. Pressure too, motherfucker. It was all that shit. But you're right. The, the one kind of drove the other. Uh, Derek Brunson did get takedowns. You're right. You're right. Brendan Allen uh, submitted him. Tiago Santos uh, beat him in his UFC debut. And there was some top position time for Tiago Santos as well here. That's fair. But who has he beaten outside of that? Alex Oliveira uh, is basically done after round one. Granted, Oliveira has a win over 10 means from several years ago, back when Oliveira was a better version of himself. Um, Jacare is pretty impressive. He just bombed on him. Doc, uh, Darren Stewart. Darren Stewart was a split decision in which he was getting kind of killed in that third round. Um, Buckley, decent decent win, especially with the way he disposed of him. But Buckley took it on short notice. Anthony Hernandez is a decent win if we're looking back. Um, you know what I just realized? He has two losses to Brendan Allen or just one? No, just one. Yeah, no, there, there is only just the one. Um, so, so yeah, um, I just feel like his level of competition that he's beaten isn't all that great. And at these odds... It's worth considering. Now, again, you give me even odds, you, you let me make a pick, I'm picking Kevin Holland. Um, if I'm the one making picking this fight, though, I'd probably go for that uh, for that three points. Nick, the next fight that I'm going to choose is going to be in the matchup between Adrian Yanez and Tony motherfucking Kelly, Nick. Tony uh, Kelly, who... Fuck, I should have I taken this one. Well, but... Nick, I don't know. Hear me out. I'm taking Tony Kelly for oh three motherfucking points at plus 250, Nick. Now, here's the thing. Do I favor Adrian Yanez? Yes. Do I think that Tony Kelly has the size, the output, just he's relentless. He doesn't really get buzzed a lot. Um, again, even odds, I pick, or anything close to even odds, I'm picking Adrian Yanez. I probably wouldn't have done this. Well, you're, I mean, you're, you're, yeah. you're, up, you're up 10 points in our game, so you're taking some half-court shots. Like, you can, you kind, can afford that. Kind of, but, kind of, but there's a logic to it. I'm not saying that this is, you know, is going to be a, a Tony Kelly fight for sure, but these odds are insane, Nick. This is a great deal on Tony Kelly is what I'm saying now. Is he bonkers because he, he'd rather drive like 14 hours rather than wear a fucking mask on a, like a two, three hour flight? Yeah, dude's a little bit off the rocker. Is he racist slash xenophobic? Probably. By the way, I think when we last criticized him, we, we lost like a decent amount of listenership. So it goes to show you, Nick. Um, is he, you know, has he shown, shown xenophobic tendencies? Yeah, he said some shit, but he's a fucking gritty, relentless, conditioned, just offensive fighter now adrian yana is going to be calm in that pocket he's gonna he's gonna be slicker he's gonna be landing big shots but tony kelly hasn't been hurt in the ufc so far he's been taken down if adrian yana goes that route if he incorporates that i think he can slow him down a little bit i think he can he can win the fight that way 
but it's not really his go-to. It's not really what he does. So uh, I'm taking Tony Kelly's of this moment for three points because the odds are there. But there's a chance, you know, I see the way in and I change my mind. At least I have this pick locked in, brother. Talk to me. Cool. Um, moving on. I'm uh, I'm going to go with Donald Cerrone to defeat Joe Lozon. I just think at this stage in their careers, um, you know, like, is it possible that that J Lo submits Cerrone? Maybe I guess I just I could see Cerrone submitting him. I could see Cerrone knocking him out. I could see Cerrone like injuring his legs. I could like I just think there's more paths to victory uh, for Donald Cerrone, who for, who's been fighting much higher levels of competition for longer. Um, whereas Lozon's descent started, uh, you know, earlier, and and he was looking rough against more junior guys. So I think Cerrone will have like slightly more in the tank to win this, uh, you know, like a senior circuit battle. I like that these guys are fighting each other. I like that Joe Lozon is basically like, listen, you know, matchmaker, you want to like offer me a fight? Great. I'm probably not going to say yes. If it's something that interests me, that intrigues me, I'm down. Donald Cerrone is a matchup that intrigues him. It makes a lot of sense for both guys. I think it's fantastic to not have them be sacrificial land for once. And, I am disagreeing with you on the pick. And I did it. I think I picked, if I remember correctly, Joe Lozon for two points last time. Odds were a little bit skewed uh, further in favor of Cerrone. Here, he's a little bit short of that. Um, I, I do feel like him being a fast starter and Cerrone being atrocious in the first round against an opponent who's really going to put it on him, right? Alex Morona is not a finisher, dude. He fucking disposed of Donald Cerrone. Donald Cerrone got disposed of Joe Selecki on the grappling circuit. Like, sub two minutes? Um, he's not... Like, he's not in a good place when it comes to fighting, when it comes to maybe life. Maybe it's the damage of his career. Maybe it's just that he's getting old. But Donald Cerrone is a fraction of his former self. Now, if it goes to the second round, put a live motherfucking bet and hedge in favor of Cerrone. But um, otherwise, I'm, I'm going with the guy who's a super fast finisher who finishes super early against the guy who's a terrible uh, starter and gets finished a lot in the first round. So I disagree with you on the pick. But... Um, I don't blame you for, for sticking to Cerrone. If it goes past round one, Lozon's going to be tired and Cerrone's going to get stronger. I am going to pick in my next one. Um, in the matchup between... Hmm, I'm going to take the... Um, I'm going to take from the Phil Hawes-Darren Wynn matchup. Um, we saw Phil Hawes has some flaws. His chin can get tagged. He can make major mistakes in there. Um, he's gotten finished after doing really well early, but he's facing a shorter, less powerful, um, less strong version of himself. Phil Hall's explosive. He's powerful. He's huge. Darren Wynn's a tiny guy for this weight division, really for most weight divisions. He's, what is he, like 5'5 five, five or something at 185? So I think that Phil Hawes takes care of business, um, not necessarily just finishing him because Darren Wynn, you know, is going to keep fighting, but we've seen Phil Hawes have on and off good cardio. I don't think he'll take the kind of damage that'll sap his cardio on this one. So I think he... He does well against Darren Wynn. Maybe a decision. Um, Darren Wynn is a tough guy, even though he gets tired. So you don't, you don't. What you're saying is that if in the results of this fight that Phil Hawes' flaws won't be the cause, you're adorable, Nick. <laughs> uh, that's that's what you were thinking of the entire time I was talking, motherfucker. I know I give you a lot of time. No, I heard, I heard what you said. I heard the points that you made. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. You are a madman. Not being a, sh- a shorter version of himself, yada, yada. Uh, 
I get, I got your, your crack analysis. Thanks. Um, Thanks. You know what? That's close to as compliment as I can expect from me. So I will take it with pride, pride, Nick. Cool. So looking down the card, I think that, uh, I, what's the odds here? I think that Albert Dryev is, 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 is practically your last name. Yes. Uh, Albert Dryev is, let me see what the odds are here. Um, He's a, he's a heavy favorite, but I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick him against Joaquin Buckley. Like Buckley's a you know Buckley's a fine striker, but I think the level of um, I, I think this I think this is a matchmaking design to get Joaquin Buckley choked out. Don't pick this fight, Nick. Huh? Don't pick this fight. Why? I'm pick it. Why you were gonna pick it? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm picking Drive. All right. Were you gonna pick you were, you were gonna pick Buckley? Fuck yes. Oh, I'm taking all of your all of your bonus Nick. I'm, I'm just I'm just like I'm I'm value hunting and I'm hungry from that Malcolm fight that did not go my fucking way. <laughs> um, I'm hungry from the fact that I saw the potential for Santos to do well against uh, Shevchenko at least for portions of the fight before the maturity difference would take over. Anyway, and, and so I think that's my reaction to it. I'm seeing some opportunities on this one. I, I'm not saying all of them will work out, but it's like I said last week. A couple of these underdogs will. And a couple of the underdogs I suggested last week did came through. A couple that didn't come through probably should have uh, if the judges got it right. So I'm going to tell you. All right, enough. Enough with your whining about that, but go ahead. It's not whining. Um, But I can see how it's annoying, to be fair. Is it my pick now? Yeah. No, no, no. You you just took from that fight, which we disagreed on. Great. Um, Yeah, here's the thing. I think that Duraev uh, is a good grappler. He's like pretty technical standing. He's effective. He's pretty fast. But the win that he got in the UFC doesn't mean a whole lot. It's not against a high-level opponent at all, right? Um, he got exhausted and took so much damage and was just, like, barely making it at the end of that fight. Oh, I shouldn't say barely making it. Both of them were exhausted sounds, to the point. Yeah. That, well, I mean, it sounds like Do you remember how tired Joaquin Buckley was at the end of his last fight? That is fair. But he was fighting a much more formidable opponent, a much more dangerous opponent who showed up, to be fair. A much more experienced UFC level opponent who has wins in the UFC, who showed the fuck up, trains with a good team. Not the case with Albert Drives. Um, I forget the, the guy's name. I don't know if you can look at it for me as I as I quickly give me my my, uh, my opinion here. I just feel like Walking Buckley's gotten multiple third round finishes, and Albert Drive looked shitty in the third round. He looked damaged. He looked exhausted. The only reason he it was uh, Roman guys, Roman uh-huh. Roman Coppola, right? Is uh... a guy that's winless in the UFC. Albert Drive barely kind of squeaked through that one. Granted. Uh, grappled really well in the second round uh, against an increasingly talented opponent, but he looked tired too, and he was doing all the damage. And he took a couple of shots and just fucking wore it, man. Got rocked pretty early, I think, in the second round, even though he grappled well. In any case, um, I'm, I'm unimpressed by him, and I think the only reason he made it through his last fight is because his opponent was even more exhausted than he was and more damaged than he was. Uh, I like Joaquin Buckley here to get a late finish. There's a chance to derive uh, grapples him early. Um, I just think... what. Like Buckley's smallish for the division, and that's a that's a scenario that causes them trouble against bigger men. Albert Dariah is not a bigger man; he's about the same size. Um, he might have some grappling success early. All that Buckley has to do is survive. He's going to land some bombs and he's going to do some damage, and I think he has a chance at a late knockout. But Albert Dariah is a solid grappler. Maybe that was a bad showing for him. I haven't watched uh, tape on him, you know, ten fights ago. Uh, maybe he has better cardio than it showed, like he did in that fight. Um, I'm going to take in my, with my next pick. I'm going to take from the Ricardo Ramos Danny Chavez matchup. Um, I think that Danny Chavez is like a tank of a guy. He trains at uh, what's that team called where Kobe Covington trains, Nick? ATT. No, the the one he switched to. 
the other Florida team, um, Ma- MMA Masters, right? So like, there's a lot. There, there's no like combinations really. There's just like some cool strikes. He throws he throws uh, calf kicks, but it's not a it's not working in tandem with any other element of his game. It's just like individual things that he thinks are kind of cool. Maybe an individual combo of two that he thinks is kind of cool. There's no real connective tissue with his game. Whereas Ricardo Ramos is super experienced against a really high level of competition. He's shown a lack of heart at times, but he's not unlike, in some ways, he's not unlike uh, the current champ at 155, Oliveira, right? In that he, like Charles Oliveira, like he's shown a lack of heart at times, but he's got that sick jiu-jitsu. He's got really good hands when he puts uh, when he puts like his focus on it. He can get tagged. But I'm not sure that Danny Chavez is the right guy to tag him. It's possible. Uh, I like Ricardo Ramos' grappling in this in this element. I think standing up, um, his distance game is going to be a lot sharper. And Danny Chavez, he kind of he's down to do whatever you want to do. Like he's not setting his own pace, his own game plan. You want to you want to take him down, he's going to wrestle with you. You want to strike with him, he's going to exchange with you. Um, and I think that Ricardo Ramos will be able to dictate where this fight goes and, and how it's going for the most part. I'm sure there'll be a hairy moment or two. What you got, brother? Um, good pick, good pick. I'm going to go with Jasmine uh, Jazuda Viscus, who I picked against in her first fight, and she proved me wrong. Um, oh, wait, no, I did pick her because the word from – I picked her because the word from people who had tra- watched her train in Canada was really high. Um, and she's only, I think, got one loss to Elise Reed, right? And that's a loss that keeps getting better looking and better looking. Um, and she's taking on Natalia Silva, who – like isn't going to implement uh isn't going to be able to replicate an Elise Reed type game and I still don't know like quite enough about her but I'm I'm just high on I'm high on Jasmine here and I uh she's I, I think she's going to be able to put together her second win in a row. Yeah, Jasmine despite the fact that she has less than half the actual fight experience she's got eight fights on her record whereas Natalia da Silva has 18, right? So quite a bit of a difference there but Jasmine, you know, she's older, right? She's not like a young buck on the come up. She's 33 years old. She's like uh, reached a certain maturity level. And you're right, that Luis Reed fight, not the worst thing, although Luis Reed was 1-0 at the time. Um, and then that win over Kay Hansen was pretty impressive. The contender series win was pretty solid. Um, and, you know, she does have the wrestling game. She has the size, the, the reach over a lot of these girls in this division. I think Natalia Silva can probably fight at 115. Taking this fight at 125, she's 5'4", right? Not exactly, like, made for, for this weight class. And the level of competition that she's fighting isn't necessarily all that high leading up to her UFC debut, right? We're, we're looking at 3-0, and 1-1, 1-0, 2-2, 0-0 opponents. And, and that was well, like the last right. five of the last six of her opponents. And she seems to be an arm collector, but like, yes. is she going to be, is, is she going to be able to get that against, uh, you know, a fighter at this level, a fighter that's gone this, the three rounds with Elise Reed? I, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, this woman did go uh, to a decision with Marina Rodriguez five years ago. Yeah, um, and, and that's not a bad sign, to be honest. Um, I, I would imagine that she probably got to take down early and then got dominated in rounds two and three, which is how it usually works with Marina Rodriguez against grapplers. Here's the thing. She has, like, okay judo, th- pretty decent judo throws from the clinch. She is just throws, like, three big shots on the feet when her, whenever her opponent engages. Chin is up in the air. She's just swinging right into potentially opposing punches. Um, I could see Jasmine taking advantage of that. I could see Jasmine getting top position and not getting armbar. So I, I'm there with you on the pick. Um, I think it's a pretty good one, and Natalia. I'm, I'm glad I got. I'm glad I got your fucking endorsement, yeah. dude. Like you, you don't have to be so defensive, man. Just sometimes take a compliment and, and make like, your goddamn. That, make your the fact goddamn. that somebody that understands this game as well as I do is willing to agree with you. Like it would be an honor for me if I was in your place. 
Uh, everyone still thinks that you broke your nose and got it crooked like that from from fighting. When I know the truth is, you you just hit yourself in the face with an iron so that you could claim next. So you could claim you got and skills. the legend grows, my friend. That is how it's motherfucking done. I am going to take in my next uh, pick. I'm going to take from the Damiris Magulov Guram Kutataladze matchup. Nick, these motherfucking Georgians coming in and taking over the game. Guram Katataladze is only one fight in the UFC, and it is an incredibly fucking impressive uh, situation that, that he got himself in and yeah. out of, right? He, he basically super well-rounded, very fast and athletic. He switches stances, like fast, powerful kicks, but he doesn't put his punches together all that well. I think like part of the reason he won that fight against, um, against see, now I got to look at his record. Ram, Ram, Ramrot? Uh, Gamro. That's right. Gamro. <laughs> Gamro. Uh, Mateos Gamro, right? Look, it was a close decision. I actually thought Gamro probably earned it. He himself said after the fight, which I respect the fuck out of. He's like, I'm an honest man. That was his fight. He deserved the decision. I respect the holy hell out of that kind of shit, right? He's boys with comes up Chimaev. Um, the thing is that he got taken down multiple times and stayed on his back. Now, he stayed on his back and he was working his subs and they were good submission attempts. He was like making uh, the really experienced grappler on Gamro like very uncomfortable. He was eventually getting up, but in the meantime, like, even though you're you're making your opponent uncomfortable, it's not great for points. I know he won that fight. His powerful kicks were a big factor there. His hands weren't getting all that much done, and it seemed like the strikes that Gamro was landing weren't making as much impact with his hands as did Gamro's kicks, which even when they were blocked were like, bah! like they just sound like freaking a horse kicking a freaking uh, solid piece of wood. So um, dude is talented. He's explosive. He's got all those uh, kind of Georgian traits that we've come to, to see in some of these serious prospects unfortunately he's fighting a guy who is i think got a little bit of a reach advantage uh similar size right super fast amir's mongol office he's got a popping jab he's got one of the best jabs in the goddamn game he is technical and patient he works well from top position he'll go for takedowns uh land plenty of body shots whether it be standing up or on the floor he can be hurt by a fast uh, like like a faster heavier hitter but stays calm recovers quickly Trains out of Tiger Muay Thai, which a lot of these Russians uh, are doing. So, look, he's not a finisher. Six of his last seven fights went the distance, and that one fight that uh, he finished was due to his opponent's injury. So, Gorab is more dynamic, right? He has a higher chance maybe to finish this fight, and maybe eventually uh, Damir is due to get caught. But I'm going to trust in the guy with the excellent fundamentals, with the speed, with the super experience, not only not only in the UFC, but otherwise. I think, uh, you know, Gamro, like, he's a real prospect. He deserves, like, a slow roll. Uh, he's got real potential. And it's unfortunate that this is the matchup, but I, I love the matchup. It's unfortunate that um, one of these guys has got to take a loss. So who's your pick? <laughs> Are you fucking listening to anything I'm saying? Demir, yeah, I am. Demir you, were, you went back and forth. I did you not. Went back and forth. Well, I, I, well I, I, was, I was stating the points in which favored each athlete, and then I talked about how I think the fundamentals, the jab, the speed, the experience that Demir Smogulov is going to win out. I'm willing to repeat Thank things you. for you anytime, Nick. Whenever you, uh, whenever you don't get it the first time, I know I speak fast. Well, I, uh, I think I'm gonna have to go and, oof. I think I'm gonna pick against. I'm gonna be the second person to pick against the Georgian. I, um, Roman Dolids is the Caucasian Dolids is. I mean, he's he's kind of that prototypical middleweight. Like he's durable, he's well rounded, he's also like pretty slow. Um, and and I wouldn't describe Kyle Dawkins as slow. You know, like Kyle Dawkins kind of is fight. slow. Kyle Dawkins, he <laughs> did not... look slow against Kevin Holland. 
No, okay, fair enough. Um, and I, I see him being able to control the distance to get in and out. I think that I think that he's, I just think he's he's much. He has got a lot more. He fights with a lot more guile than Roman Deleuze does. And I don't know that he'll get. I think this is going to be a. a I think I, this this fight will probably have blood. <laughs> I see this being like a bloody fight. Um, I think they're going to switch. I think each one is going to have top position at different times. Um, but I think I think Kyle Dawkins, um should be able to stick and move um, because I just think that that Roman is a is a heavy armed um, a heavy armed kind of plotting. Uh, plotting boxer. He reminds me in his fighting a little bit of um, of Hapo. What's a Hapo? Who is the Brazilian fighter? Hafe on the top. Oh, I see. I see. Um, um, it, it was. I can't remember what it was, but it wasn't quite that word. It, it was yeah. something like it. Anyway, I got Kyle. I, I've got Kyle Dawkins. Um, so we're both picking against. Uh, Against the Georgia fighter, yeah, yeah. You know what? That's that's high fucking risk. The fact that we're both picking it because I do agree with you on the pick, not by a long margin though. I think these odds are bogus, and so like maybe consider low Roman the lids because he might just win a close decision over Dawkins. But I think Dawkins, you're right. He's going to have the boxing advantage. He, um, the wrestling is where there's a question because the lids is a decent grappler, especially from top position. So like the guy oh, yeah. on top is probably going to do well here. And the lids, like he's a pretty powerful guy. Like he's slow, but he just like blasts these heavy body parts into you and it tends to like have an effect um you know not as confident as the odds would suggest but i am favoring kyle Dawkins by small margin who knows maybe the Dawkins brothers are like suffering together because because chris ain't doing so well right now and it seemed like chris was like the the guy that was about to pop up the top five and chris ain't looking so good kyle Dawkins is going to be the uh the hope for the Dawkins family for now and uh i'm picking him to come through here too but again close on paper there's a reason it's one of our last few picks my next one is going to be in the Gloria De Paula versus Mario. Wait, so are you wait? Are you picking Docus? Uh, are you picking yeah. Docus Doracus? Uh, okay. by hair. I am going to take from the Maria Oliveira Gloria De Paula matchup. Nikolai, um, both their strikers both did not very good on the ground. Both like have been grounded in their UFC careers and lost that way. But one of them looks like she's a good striker, and one of them looks like she's a shitty striker. And for that reason, I'm going to take Gloria DePaula to beat Maria Oliveira. I think the odds are too wide, and I actually considered taking Maria Oliveira uh, as an underdog. But maybe for three points, I could have considered it. But but Gloria DePaula just like she has fundamentals, man. She she's balanced. She throws serious heat in her shots. She finds the right distance based on how far her opponent is from her. Um, conditioned pretty well. Whereas Maria Oliveira didn't look very conditioned against Ricci. Granted, Ricci's a pretty fucking serious opponent. Um, but she didn't look conditioned, especially for a UFC debut. She didn't look like she she got tired relatively quickly. Um, she wasn't like killing it on the feet. Like she was just throwing off this this kind of lazy slow motion jab for the most part, and like occasional kicks, which were okay. I'm not impressed. Like I know she has like double the experience of Gloria DePaula, and that's why that's why these uh, odds seem kind of crazy to me. But I got Gloria DePaula because she just seems like the the more uh, the more technical, more just. Mm-hmm. She, she's well schooled as opposed to the way that uh, that Oliveira fights, but for the record, it could end up being a very close decision. So the odds are so. What you got, bro? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, oh, by the way, just real quick about Roman deletes. Um, you remember the drama with Cheyenne B- Bays Bays divorcing her husband? Yeah, yeah. The fellow UFC fighter. So apparently, it was Roman deletes who she started to see 
which is what oh. caused or, or that was somehow involved. So just some some interesting tidbit there where there's some drama in uh, in him and him and Cheyenne's wife as as Cheyenne's husband, whose name I forget because he's a medium fighter. Um, he called her out on it. He was like, "I'm tired of you acting like a victim. Like you cheated on me and you left me." Go on, bro. Um, there's two fights left, right? Yeah, brother. Huh. I'm. Oof. This is tough. All right, I'm gonna. As much as I love, uh, as much as I love Julian Marquez, and I think he's a tough dude. Um, these kind of like exciting victories, uh, he's had recently. Um, well, shit. I don't know who to pick in that fight. <laughs> That's a really, really tough one. Let me see. Let me just look at where the odds are at. Eh. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to walk away from that fight. I'm going to take the new, the new, uh, this like lean, uh, super durable version of Court McGee to grind out an incredibly boring victory over Jer- over Jeremiah Well. Nick, I tend to agree with you on that Court McGee pick, but super risky. Like I, this was literally last on my list because um, if there's value on either, I side, mean the I'm other one, it. the other one's risky too. It is. It, no, I don't disagree with you. This one was right below the other one. These are my my bottom two picks. Uh, yeah. I'm less confident in this one because Jeremiah Wells is so fucking dangerous. Like his power. Not very technical at all. He crashes the pocket every time he throws a combo. And Court McGee's going to fucking take advantage of that, get in top position. And once he does, I don't think Jeremiah Wells is going to is going to do too well. Maybe he can get up early, but over time, Court McGee gets stronger. He pushes harder. He's going to pressure you. And you're right. He's newly leaning in shape. Jeremiah Wells is a, just a monster physically, but he's up there in age two. He just doesn't have the miles of Court McGee. Um, Jeremiah Wells trains with that Philly team, the Sean Brady's and the such. So, like, pretty high level grappling training partners he's got serious heat in his hands he's got crazy power he's explosive um but can he do that for three rounds is what i question and for that reason i lean court mcgee but dude he's a powerful like physically younger man he might not be much younger but he's a he's got way less miles on him and, and he's got serious serious dynamite in his hands court mcgee's been getting hurt more and more over time so there's risk there for that reason court, um court mcgee who's wait court mcgee has been around so long he fought the he fought the marcus johnson and jeremy horn Damn, damn. Um, Jeremy, that's Horn, great. That's, that's and Nick and, and Nick Ring and Chris McRae. Jesus, Nick Christ. Ring is some back in the Josh Josh Near split decision against against Whitaker, and even that was like holy shit. Condit Campman two was nine years ago. Anyway, I just hate being old. But my point in looking at this is the only person that ever that's ever put Court McGee down is Santiago Ponzinibbio. Ponzinib. That's fair, but Cormier's been getting hurt since then is the issue. Like, not knocked out. You know he's tough. You know he's going to grit his way through shit and, and, like, keep trying. But, you know, I don't love the way Carlos Connor just handled that motherfucker. And Carlos Connor ended up looking amazing overall lately. Um, so, but again, his last fight, he came out looking fucking phenomenal against a pretty formidable young up-and-comer. Um, in the Julian Marquez-Gregor Rodriguez fight, here's the thing, Nick. You were considering making a pick on that fight. And then I was. And then you decided this one's really hard to pick. You looked at the odds and then you moved to the other fight. If you they're think, both I think they're both I think they're both really, really hard to pick. Totally, but hear me out. If you're in your position and you're trying to catch up on motherfucking points, Julian Marquez is a plus one fifty underdog, and you can't decide between those two guys, that is who you pick, Nikolai. No, I need I can't fall any further behind, Stan. I have to have deep conviction in order to pick pick one. I can't be taking three-point shots right now. 
All right, I'll tell you what. Let's see how let's see how this shit talk of mine comes through on uh, at the end of the week. I'm curious how many of these underdogs that I'm recommending come through. Um, maybe you're right. I just feel like you gotta swing a haymaker if you're losing a decision. You know, thirty twenty seven. You have June, two rounds it's, left. It's June. I don't know. I feel like if, I feel like if I can if I can scratch back a couple points. All right, fair enough. Hard, fair, fair, fair. All right, let, let, let's see. I'm I'm very curious because I think Julian Marquez, man, like. Again, there's value here. If you're not sure, it could go either way. Why not take the shot on the two points? You could be wrong either way, right? It's the same thing with the court Mickey Jeremiah Wells fight. Um, for that reason, I'm taking Julian Marquez at plus 150. Look, he doesn't do a lot of things right. He has short arms for middleweight, but he's relentless. He's constantly offensive. Um, he he will dog you down eventually, even if you're doing really well against him. But he finishes fools. He's super opportunistic in that way, right? His relentless pressure eventually builds on you to the point where you are finishable. And Gregory Rodriguez, as much as he throws hard punches down the chamber, right down the middle, and Marquez is going to throw more hooks with a shorter arms fair, but Marquez just, he knows he's going to fucking dig his way out of a hole. He knows he's done it, and he knows he can, and he's going to be in a hole early in this fight, but then eventually, I think the tide's going to turn. Marquez, his relentless pressure, his output's going to take over, and Gregory Rodriguez will be exhausted, as we've seen him be in the past. Maybe he didn't deserve to lose that last matchup um, against a gentleman whose name escapes me. Maybe you can look it up. But um, Gregory Rodriguez is, I don't think he's Julian Marquez level. I think Julian Marquez, like sometimes the oddmakers disrespect some of these veterans who have like legitimate proven success in the UFC. Julian Marquez is that guy. I think he deserves a little more respect than that. And for that reason, the opportunity, um, you know, is hard to resist. I'm going to take Julian Marquez as the underdog. Probably, again, if odds were even, maybe, possibly would have edged by hair to Gregory Rodriguez. But at these odds, I'm taking, no, I don't know. Like Julian Marquez, the reasons that I gave, I think, are good reasons for him to win this fight. It's, it's possible. Uh, I think him being a slight favorite would have made sense too, but um, Gregor Rodriguez is dangerous. Don't get me wrong. If Gregor Rodriguez can be relied on to do everything right, if he can get takedowns consistently, he has that skill because Julian Marquez can be taken down. Um, if he can hold that top position stay disciplined and do some damage, he can win this fucking fight. I just don't trust him to do that. He makes a lot of mistakes despite his good technique. How about them apples, bro, Left just speechless. No, we'll see. It's an interesting. It's a, it's an interesting card. It, Nick, it's, it's. I mean, it's a little late. It's a, it's a little late. So if I sound, if we sound a little more tired than usual, that's that's why. To our to our dozen and dozen of listeners, dozen and dozen, Nikolai. Um. So again, my the the areas where I think it's worth taking a shot on the other dog. If you look at Tony Kelly, and I'm quickly going to look this up. I know I know uh, I know it's late. We're trying to go to bed, Nikolai. I'm trying to finish an episode of the morning show with my wife. Tony Kelly by decision is plus six hundred. Put twenty bucks on that. Put fifty bucks on that. Like, like fifty bucks that you don't mind not ever seeing again. To be fair, but man, that can work out really well. Plus the six hundred. That's a distinct possibility. Adrian Yanez is a great fucking fighter, but Tony Kelly has a shot. He's a gritty, gritty, tough, offensive motherfucker. Tim means a plus two fifty. Crazy fucking odds, man. Like Tim Means is a really he's a really good fighter to be disrespected to this extent by the odds makers. Um and uh, and of course I just mentioned Julian Mark has a plus one fifty. He's certainly worth a rider on. Um he's a finisher, so I wouldn't risk like a uh, decision or or finish prop unless the finish prop is really enticing. Maybe I'll look into that. Uh Demiris Mugulov is, is a is a great bet and, and, and I would rely on him on him here at these odds, even if he loses a close one, like you know, this is a deal on a guy like Demiris Mugulov. Um I think Buckley as an underdog, there's an opportunity to be had there as well. So, you know, there, there's some shit to be done here. Calvin Cater in a parlay. Um, Jasmine just a vicious in a parlay, I think is a good idea. Uh, there's some opportunities here is all I'm saying, betting-wise. 
And uh, I'm looking ahead a little bit. That's car the card on the 25th. It's a Vegas card. It's a weird one. We got Armin Sarukian uh, against against Gamro. We've got Neil Magny is being served up as a kind of sacrificial lamb to shock uh, to Shavkat Rachmanov. But it's I'm not sure that Neil simple. Mag it's a big test. I know it's not. It's not. It's a big test. But yeah. uh, but it's. Uh, I mean that that's kind of interesting. Josh Parisian against Alan Boudot, nobody wants to see. Um, Chris Curtis is on the card against Adolfo Vieira. Yes, give me We've that got, shit. I'm um, into it, Nick. Not uh, bad at all. Carlos Olberg's back. We've got the return of. Who's he fighting uh, Olberg? You fighting somebody mentioned? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Tefan uh, Enchiqui. Fantastic. We got Saryukan versus Mateos Gamero, Nick. That's fantastic. You very good. Mario Lee. Bautista, Brian Keller, Ginyu Frey against uh, Vanessa Demopoulos. That's interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know that Ginyu Frey is particularly interesting. Two, uh, those are two very attractive. For the record, I, I'm, I'm, into, uh, I'm into Brian Keller and Mario Bautista. That's a great fucking bite. JP Bays, Bays we were just talking about um, his ex-wife, Cheyenne uh, Bays. Um, that guy's, not, that guy's not. That guy's not good. He's um, not, but Cody Durbin's not that good either. Like that could go either way. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's not yeah. like a fight. I mean, they could both. They could both kick the shit out of me. Julian uh, Paiva, who's always like my guy, who's always one of my guys, Sergey Morozov. That's that's a decent matchup. I think, dude, there's some good stuff here. TJ Brown versus uh, Shailin Norbieki. Um, like, not these are these are going to be fun fights. What Tefan and Chukwi. Versus Carlos Lomberg is fantastic. Dude. Uh, or we've got uh, Umar Nurmagomedov against uh, against Nate Manis. That's a good fight, man. That's a great fight because Nate Manis is used to fighting grapplers who, uh, who like will take damage as they try to grapple him. Eventually, his damage wears on you, and he takes over. I like it. Yeah, he can he can hurt he can hurt a man. Yeah, uh, that's a freaking joke. And fourteen and one versus fourteen and zero combined twenty eight and one. Nick, that's that's a pretty damn good matchup. Yeah, I'm, I'm into all of this business. Like, there, there's some good stuff on this card. It's not as good as I think this immediate, this following week's card uh, with uh, with the Emmett versus Cater matchup. But this is a great fucking card. After all the shitty fight night cards we've been getting leading up to that UFC 275 pay per view, I am grateful for this. It's fantastic, bro, and it's free. You feel me? Watch a half hour delay to all the commercials. Oh, this is good. After that, we're 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 at the a paper a pay per view with an absolutely sick. Sick me. Actually, this whole card is way better than even the card that we just had on paper. I mean, we're talking Izzy against Jared Cannonier. So I'm like, okay, about that one. But we've got Volkanovski, Holloway 3. We've got Strickland against Alex Pahea. That's fascinating because the winner of that fight is going to get the winner of that title fight. Let's go. Misha Tate, Lauren Murphy. We got Pedro Munoz against Sean O'Malley. Hopefully, hopefully somebody shuts Sean O'Malley's mouth. Is it going to be about, Pedro How Munoz? about some calf kicks, Nikolai? Would Sean O'Malley like some calf kicks? I know we got Brad Riddell against Jalen Turner. That's that's fight of the night all over it. Fantastic. Robbie Lawler against against Brian Barberina, Jessica yes. I Macy Barber. I mean, could, oh Uriah Hall. Gabe Green and Gary is fantastic. Man, that's a great matchup. Andre Muniz, Uriah Hall. I'm into uh, Jim Miller, Bobby Green. Tr that's the kind of legends fight I'm into as well. I'm into this next. This is great. Tricus Duplessis is back. Is back on. Is back on the uh, in the menu after. Uh, yeah, he was looking great and then like vanished. I don't know where he's been. Jessica Rose Clark, who is like my like like she you know like like I, I find her she's my MMA fighter who I find attractive and she's facing off with Julia Jostorilenko, which should be which should be you know pretty low level MMA but interesting enough I guess. Yeah, she's still winless in the UFC, uh, Yulia. Yeah, but, but she's um, been fighting some tough chicks, man. Jessica Rose Clark is yeah. one of her weakest opponents, I think. Right, Alexis Davis, Julia Vila, Yana Kuniskaya. Yeah, man. Jessica Rose Clark is her lowest level UFC opponent. They're giving her a shot here to win a fight. 
For sure. All right, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all next week. Looking forward to it, brother. All the best. Take care of yourself.